0: What up, what up,
2: hey. <laughs> The star the
0: show is back.
2: <laughs> are you talking about you? Oh, okay. That's cool. <laughs> Who's the well, star? <laughs>
0: that's you, Renee. You. And then my and then my other favorite James. <laughs> my
2: other favorite James.
0: Other
2: <laughs> favorite James. Okay. we uh, are good in that, I can tell.
0: <laughs> Well, welcome everyone to another episode of Breaking into Cybersecurity. CISO Thursday, our honorary CISO for today, Mr. James McQuiggan. I I, I would say, I I don't like to call him my other favorite James, but um, if I had to choose, what would I do? It's hard. Uh, It's hard, exactly. Put
1: yourself in there. (laughs) Don't do
0: it. Welcome back, Renee. How are you doing?
1: Uh, my teeth hurt. Okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for sharing.
1: I'm back. I haven't visited a lot of folks, so if you hear the lisp, that's what's going on. Good for you.
0: <laughs> See, I have a face for radio and it shows. Um, <laughs> you too, <laughs> yes. uh... me too. So, our honorary guest today, Mr. James McQuiggan. Give our audience a a brief background on yourself, and then we'll get the show on a roll.
2: Brief background. Holy cow. Uh, So I'm a security awareness advocate over at Noble 4. Uh, Probably, well, it's not probably. It is a dream job uh, where, you know, get to go around and talk to people about cybersecurity, which... Goes in line with the uh, other side hustle that I have going on where I'm a college professor trying to help educate the next generation of security professionals Uh, here in town. I teach a cybersecurity, cyber ops course, uh, cybersecurity operations course. And uh, that's a lot of fun. But, you know, prior to being at Noble 4, I spent 18 years working for this little German company called Siemens. I had a variety of different roles with them uh, over those 18 years, everything from building applications, database administration, networking, network security, and then got into cybersecurity, which led me into security awareness and training, product security. Uh, And, you know, it just went on and on from there. And, and, um, yeah, it it was a lot of fun working there for 18 years. Uh, Prior to that, I worked for a Major computer manufacturing company, rhymes with bell, uh, did help desk, uh, help desk for them for about three years for an outsourcing company. That was kind of my foray into our entrance into uh, working in IT, uh, doing help desk. Uh, and I think everybody should have to start at help desk just because it builds troubleshooting skills and, and um, customer service skills and, and dealing with angry people. <laughs> so uh, so it was a lot of fun. but prior to that six years I spent working professionally in believe it or not theater uh, I worked uh, lighting sound sound designing line designing uh, and stage management uh, had a lot of fun working for the an opera company several opera companies uh, and uh, yeah so it was a lot of fun but uh, yeah nowadays I'm uh, a happy dad a Iac Square chapter president no before security awareness advocate a professor and oh yeah a photographer too So
0: look at that, I, I learn something about you every day. So for folks just jumping in today, this is breaking into security, CISO Thursdays. For those of you on LinkedIn, follow myself, James and Renee. For those of you on YouTube, hit that subscribe button and then the notification button. That way the next time we pop up, we're there. For those of you on Twitch, Thank you for following us on Twitch, as well as on Twitter Live. We're hey. just expanding this <laughs> multimedia uh, conglomerate it. here. Um, don't, don't worry, we're, 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 we're like the DevOps project set up on a twig, so um, <laughs> we're, we're all going here. Um, and shout out to our audience. Feel free to shout on in, tell us where you're, where you're coming from and where you're viewing, and if you have any questions for Mr. McWiggin, thanks Stephen for joining us from beautiful
2: San Diego. He's
1: mm-hmm. always here. I love Steven.
2: I'll be uh, hey, I'll be out on the West Coast this week next week.
1: I have a question. How did yeah. you get from being in operas on stage the whole in that space to IT?
2: Took a wrong turn. No. Um <laughs> steal that line from a buddy of mine, Mr. Shields. No. Well, the funny thing was when I was in, this all goes back to high school. When I was in high school, there were two things that I was really interested in theater and computers. And at that time in the late eighties, um, computers, a lot of it was all programming, turbo Pascal, you know, basic and all that. And it, it was fun, but it just didn't really have a strong enough interest. Uh, you know, I, I, was comfortable playing on computers and programming and doing that stuff, but it wasn't a passion. And so when I graduated high school, I went and studied theater and then went and worked in theater. And I got about six years into the career and it was fun. I absolutely truly enjoyed it. Uh, But the lifestyle nights, weekends, long, I mean, long hours, we do it now anyway, but, but it was just the lifestyle. Wasn't what I wanted to have, for a family. Um, and I know that there are successful people out there that work in theater and have and, and been successful in, in that lifestyle. And that's great. For me, it was a decision where it wasn't something I wanted to do if I was going to get married and have a family. So I stepped back and kind of went back to that decision that I had in high school. And what I ended up doing, I, I still had an interest in computers. So what I took, what I did was I took an A plus certification course. Uh, at the local college where I was in Texas. And that kind of, you know, reawakened that uh, interest in computers. And what I found that I really liked doing was building. them. I liked assembling them and troubleshooting them. And, uh, you know, back then it was loading Windows 95 and 98. And that led me to working at the help desk and spent three years there. I worked my way up from uh, level one tech, level two, and then became a manager. Which, looking back, uh, it was because I was kind of, there was a very, very high turnover rate in the help desk because it burned a lot of people out. They didn't, you know, you're working an eight-hour shift getting yelled at the entire time. And so it kind of builds character a little bit. But at that point, it was just a matter of, you know, getting, um, getting an A-plus certification, getting some experience. And then I got the job at Siemens. Uh, where I was working on databases and for about a year um, and learning how to do more coding. And then I, then I did the t- the continued my 10-year plan, uh, went back and got my Bachelor of Science in Information Technology, and uh, that helped me a little further with um, working at Siemens and got into uh, working in applications and working in networking. And networking, there was a lot of fun there, too. But, um, yeah, it wasn't until I get into our corporate security office that the passion really came forward.
0: Are you saying in cybersecurity, there's no nights and weekends and high level stress?
2: <laughs> say, yeah, I realized when I said that I'm like, yeah, but that's, <laughs> there is there is that we do have that stress level and the craziness. And I mean, I saw an article this morning that a third of the workforce wants to drop out um, because of the long hours, the the lack of compensation, the lack of appreciation from organizations. And it's, it made me realize it was a lot like the role of a stage manager in a production. The role of the stage manager is they're there from the very beginning in production meetings, all through rehearsals, documenting everything, communicating with everybody, kind of like a program manager, but it's a thankless job because if anything goes wrong in the show, they're coming after you. Um, If something goes wrong, they're yelling, yelling at you. And if everything goes right, They're like, okay, great job. You know, so uh, I see that a very similar pattern there and a lot of folks being frustrated. But, yeah, no, Uh, getting into cybersecurity and and the role and seeing the long hours and everything else. I'm like, you know, when you truly enjoy doing what you do, it's hard to call it work. But um, I do know, especially on the CISO level, you know. A lot of folks get burned out. A lot of folks don't call it fun, but there are some out there that do. And, and uh, it's good to see.
0: You already had the character built in from the help desk, right?
2: I think so. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> having people yell at me and having people tell me that my product sucks. Um, I'm just like, you know, hey, I'm. I, one of the things I learned early on, and this is from a customer service standpoint, early on was, you know, they're not yelling to you. They're, they're, they're more or less yelling at you. They're not yelling you at you because you're incompetent. They're yelling at you because you represent the company. You're the front line, and if you can take it and just let it roll off the back like a, you know, like water off a duck's back, um, then you can get through that. And a lot of the time, people were just angry and they wanted their problems solved, you know. And I think we see a lot of that with InfoSec. People are upset, something's not working, or or uh, something breaks. And they're angry at the situation. And so it's a matter of just having to work through that and figure it out and go, okay, well, here's how we're going to fix it.
0: Perfect. Let's make some more shout outs. Hey, Jim from Tulsa, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Then we have um, Basir from Virginia. Then we have Bob Henderson saying cheers. (laughs) And then Mohammed making reference back to the, the one man that shut the internet down for North Dakota. And yes, I I do recall that happening. So, James, as you're focused on raising awareness about all the threats, how do you keep up with all the threats to keep everyone else aware of it?
2: A lot of that, ironically, a lot of that comes from doing a lot of reading every day. Um, I'm pulling in. Uh, Wall Street journal, journal articles. I'm looking on tweets. I'm looking on LinkedIn. Um, I have an RSS feed that I'm connected into a variety of publications. And uh, shameless plug—he's not here—but shameless plug for our good buddy, Mr. James Azar, um, the Cyber Hub podcast, the, the practitioner brief he does every morning. Uh, early on, um, or in the last several years, a lot of that, a lot of the information I get on a daily basis. I'll, I'll check out the podcast. Let that play, and just kind of hear those topics. Had the honor and pleasure of being on uh, a couple of a show of his episodes, and uh, I think I filled in for him once or twice. But um, but yeah, a lot of it comes from you know, like I said, my RSS feed. Looking at uh, podcasts, there's a couple of great podcasts that are out there on a daily basis that give you updates. Um, but then also, just you know. Chatting with colleagues, chatting through LinkedIn, through, uh, through Twitter, uh, and then supporting all that comes out of the, you know, working with the uh, chapter that I have here, that I'm a part of here in Central Florida.
1: James, you said that you heard from, or some research that was done recently, is that a third of practitioners are ready to leave the industry, or was it a third of CISOs?
2: it was a third of practitioners. It was, I didn't get all the way through the article, but, and I can dig it up and share it with you afterward. But a lot of it, it was people, it was practitioners. It wasn't CISOs directly, but it was people that are working in the industry that are frustrated. And we all know how we're trying to get more people coming into this industry. Now I didn't, this was out of a thousand different practitioners that were working. So um, it it was interesting, but it just, was kind of alarming to me that, you know, here we've got people working, but they're getting burned out. They're either not able to take the necessary time off because of work shortages. I mean, I know a lot of organizations now are suffering work shortages where they can't get the people in. Um, and so I know that's probably going to be a hot topic next week at the RSA conference. A lot of people walking around and talking about that, um, you know, trying to get more people in the workforce and then trying to retain the ones that we've got. And if we're burning them out, then, you know, it, it's not going to be, uh, it's going to be even harder to retain folks. And I know that's always been an interesting topic uh, in variety of different webinars and, and podcasts and, and uh, live events where people have all, all the ideas to, you know, be able to try and retain their employees, you know, make sure that they're appreciative, making sure that they're compensated properly, that, that you have management that work with them to make sure that if you know, they're checking in with them every day, especially when we're working remote. Um, you've got so many folks that are working remote, even post-COVID. And, you know, it's important that you have the, that communication. Um, I know some people, they don't want to hear from their bosses. But as long as they're being productive, you know, then then great. But a lot of the times, as humans, we're socially, we like that social interaction. And and so to be able to at least communicate with team members or your boss every day is certainly Uh, a key element to being able to have a, a comfortable work environment where people feel appreciative, whether, you know, it's, it's hearing from the management, getting kudos, being recognized. Uh, I know personally, people like to be recognized uh, for good, for good work and whether that's, you know, financially or pat on the back or stickers or trips or days off or, or whatever that takes. Um, But that's that's also comes down to the culture of the organization as well, and being able to look at that and see how they address, you know, being able to take time off, working remotely. I mean, yesterday, I think a lot of us probably saw the article um, at Tesla, Tesla. where they're not going to allow any remote work. You got to be working from at the office, or you're fired. So, you know, you got to look at that culture and see, okay, (laughs) I want to work there. And um, I need to start calling into the Tesla. What's that? <laughs> she says she's call, calling in.
1: Coach <laughs> <laughs> time.
2: <laughs> um, we'll see how
1: that goes. Yeah, right.
2: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but, it, I mean, you look at that and go, so if you're comfortable working in an office all the time, then okay, good. But if you're somebody that wants to work remote and you see that that's not an option, well, then you know you don't want to be applying that.
1: Yeah. I mean, I was on, I was, I saw some of that on Twitter, some of the responses and people just automatically jumped into um good luck like you're not going to the, the talent is going to walk away um in this current environment and yes there are roles that need to be um in person but minimal 40 hours a week i was like is he serious cuz you know like he flips off you know he does stuff <laughs> I was like is he for real <laughs> <laughs> oh mg Uh, Professor
0: Roger White says, management sometimes does not add value, so we don't like talking to them. Um, (laughs) Yeah, (laughs)
2: yeah. if you got management that's not adding value, then you don't want to be working for them.
1: Oh, my goodness.
2: And it's, you know, I know for me in in the past when I've worked for, I've been extremely fortunate. The managers that I've worked for have been fantastic. Uh, Some have gone on to become really good friends, Um, but I've had my fair share of managers that it was difficult to talk to. And so that was my cue that, well, look, if I can't communicate, it's a two way street. Um, you know, so if, if I can't communicate with you and we can't have conversations and you're just going to yell at me or you're just, you're not going to listen to anything I say with any type of feedback, then I'll just go work elsewhere.
1: Right.
2: Easier said than done. I get it. But that was my cue where I said, okay, time to start looking elsewhere.
0: I'm... uh er, Ericon says currently hey. enrolled in a cyber boot camp, but lost motivation halfway through after listening to your podcast. I became remotivated well, Yay. thank you very much Ericon. um Yay. james you're on both ends of the spectrum on one hand you're teaching the next generation and then on the other hand you're working with established organizations <gasps> to drive their awareness and drive their culture where's some of the disconnect between what students are looking for in their careers and what organizations are looking for in their employees?
2: Yeah. When you start looking at the students and their interest to get into the organizations, and then you've got employees in organizations that are having to learn about uh, cybersecurity, cybersecurity hygiene and those kind of things. It's interesting with the students, they're hungry. They are have a desire because they're paying for it to learn as much as they can. They become sponges when, and I know with a lot of my students, one of the things I bring to my, we'll say lectures is that what goes on in the real world. We'll talk about real world events. Um, One of the things that I do, we talk about fishing. Now for a while there, I was actually going through and fishing my students, but then the program ended, but it was interesting to see where my students were starting to realize, Hey, this doesn't look right. Um, you know, and they would send it to me going, are you fishing us? Is this one of the fishes you were telling us about? Um, But since that time when I'm not able to fish them, but having conversations with them, talking about what goes on in the real world. um, One of the things that I do with my students is we do a demo of a ransomware attack. And I actually take one of my virtual machines and infect it with ransomware. And just to give them the insight of how quick a ransomware attack happens. You know, once they start the ransomware encryption process, it's seconds, you know, and depending on the size of the data, it may take a couple of minutes. Um, But to give them that experience and give them that understanding, uh, when you start talking with employees or users within organizations, they may not care. They may go, fine, I'll I'll do the training just because I have to, but that doesn't mean I have to care. And so there's a kind of, you kind of have to take that next step and start working with the security awareness folks for that organization to say, okay, what do we need to do to look at getting the culture right um, here within the organization? What do we got to do to step it up? Uh, you know, we a lot of for me, my my perspective when it comes to users and organizations is everybody has a key to the front door for your organization. Anybody that's got an email address can click on a link and effectively let the cyber criminals in through the front door and bypass all the technology. Now, technology is there to either stop it in the first place with your spam filters and email secure email gateways. But then if it does get through and a user ends up clicking on it, then hopefully you might have a SOC or an MSP that's got a security operations center, an SOC, a SOC, that can at least monitor and try and track that down and and reduce the risk there. But then you have smaller organizations that can't afford that or don't have that. And they end up falling victim to it. And so those are almost the organizations that are more critical, that have to be more a lot more alert and aware. And it's difficult because they're so focused on their work. They don't have time for that cybersecurity stuff. Um, It's fine. If a cyber criminal got in, they wouldn't get much of our stuff anyway. But a lot of the times if they do get in, it's those trusted connections that they're going to go after or or try to uh, shut them down. Now I'm getting
0: back into computer networking. Ah. Uh No. Um, here we go. Carrie says uh, she's trying to break into technology and thought cybersecurity was the way to go. And now I'm getting back into computer networking, just trying to get into the field. Carrie, I would say computer networking is a great foundation to get into cybersecurity. Yeah. It becomes one of those things that will help Spur your cybersecurity career because it's it's something that connects everything together.
2: Yeah, I mean, what what um, what Kerry's trying to do, he with getting into computer networking is I agree is is that good, strong foundation. But there's so many different aspects within cybersecurity. One of the other things to do is to talk with other people. If you've got any local meetup groups, cybersecurity groups, ISSA, IAC squared, ISACA, um, there's the CSNP, the cybersecurity nonprofit groups. There's a lot of different groups out there where you can go out and meet up with them. Um, you know, worst case scenario, if you've got somebody that's in, in your community, take them out for a coffee, take them out for a beer, sit them down, have a conversation, one of the big ways and i know i've heard it here many times before and i continue to do it especially because i have uh, i work with the chapter here in town but network get networking with people get meeting people if you got a b-sides event in your uh, area go to that and just meet people granted sometimes for some of us it's not that easy we're we're really uncomfortable but it you know you just got to start with one person and, and have that conversation Uh, I was at a conference last weekend. I was completely out of my comfort zone at all. It dealt with podcasting. And there weren't a lot of tech podcasts and there weren't a lot of cybersecurity podcasts. There were all these other people that were podcasters. But for me, it was like, okay, I'm going to have to start networking with these people, start building these connections. And sometimes it just starts with one. You know, you find a little connection, you start having a conversation, and then it goes from there. It's not an immediate return of investment, so to speak. When you start networking, it is something that you have to build up and it takes time. It took me nine years of connections with uh, people to get where I am with KnowBefore and with the uh, school here. Some people, you know, I've had chapter meetings where somebody said, hey, I'm coming into town. I'm moving to to Florida and um, trying to meet people. I said, yeah, come along to the chapter meeting. He ended up coming to the meeting, met somebody that was actually hiring Um, technicians, uh, security folks. He ended up chatting with him at the meeting, just happened to be sitting beside him, chatted it up, discovered he had a job opening. He applied. Three months later, he moved down because he got the job working there because of that uh, networking opportunity. Not every time is that going to happen. It could take nine years. It could take 10 minutes. Uh, (laughs) It's just going to depend. But networking is a great way to be able to build up those resources, build up those connections, especially like on LinkedIn or Twitter or whatever, wherever else you want to do that. You end up going to a physical conference and then you may get to meet some of the people in person. And again, strengthen that networking uh, and that connection.
0: I think I met you in Florida. We did seven or eight years ago at an ISSA chapter event.
2: ISSA (laughs) South Florida event. I was running for the ISSA board. um, And I I knew the guy, I know the guys or knew them that was running that chapter. I said, Hey, might if I come down and just you know, be there and kind of say a few words. It was worth the however long, three and a half, four hour drive it took for me (laughs) to get down there because I got honestly, Christoph. one of the things was we met and we've kept the connection going over the years. I still keep in touch with the ISSA South Florida guys, but um, that connection, you know, being on your being on here with you and just keeping communications open and and chatting. So, hey, you never know.
1: So, James, when you um... Going back to that, I'm always very, very, very interested, obviously, in retention, (laughs) recruitment with the retention piece. It's very interesting. And I know you didn't get to read the full article, but were there things that outside of burnout, were there other areas that said that share uh, that the article talked about as to why people would want to leave
2: a lot? Some of the other items dealt with training. You know, you get hired to come in and do a job yeah, and that's great. But our jobs are constantly evolving, especially in networking, social engineering. Um, You know, each technology, you know, whether you're information technology, information security, there's new things that are coming about all the time and you should be able to get training. And I know I remember working at one particular place where uh, we were trying to they were trying to cut budgets. And the first Mm -hmm. thing that went was training. And I was like, okay, all right, you know, we're trying to save money. That's fine. Um, It was a large company and made a lot of money, but they were trying to cut budgets. And so training was always the first to go. And that was always frustrating Uh, where you and, you know, in in the training, you can go and take some courses that are five, six, eight, ten thousand dollars for the week. You can spend three thousand twenty five hundred dollars to go to a conference. You could spend 50 bucks and go to a B-sides event. You know, and so the cost is going to vary. But if you don't provide an opportunity for your users, your employees to get educated, especially in our field, you don't allow them opportunities to be able to uh, keep growing and training. I mean, it could be even something as simple as saying "For forever. We want you to work seven hours every day, you know, whether you work an eight hour, 10 hour, whatever hour day. But you have you could have a policy within your organization where you go. For one hour every day, you're going to take that time to either read, do research, something that's going to grow we will pay for you to have a try Hack Me account. I mean, they're eight bucks a month, you know, something where you're going to take an hour out of every day to learn something new, to educate yourselves, whether it's reading a book, taking a training class, you know, and it can be as something as simple as that without having to spend the tens of thousands of dollars, you know, for a, a uh, an official week-long training course. There are things you can be doing every single day. I know for me, I take an hour every day and I'm reading through Wall Street Journal cybersecurity articles. I'm looking at my RSS newsfeed, um, listening to podcasts, reading, you know, I've got a variety of different books that I'm reading, um, you know, going through and, and reading those uh, just to kind of better myself on top of that. And if you're, if management can support that and get behind that, you know, then that can at least help you grow uh, that much more as a, as an employee.
1: Right. And th- this has been, I was, I'm, cu- I'm always curious because it seems like the training component has been consistent for a number of years. And it used to be, I, I, I know, burn Ber- burnout, obviously with this current situation is a little bit different, you know, coming out of COVID, but the training component seems to be, have been, I think I've been off and on tracking this for mm, 10 or so years now and it's been kind of consistent and it's still the main what, the main reason one of the top 3 reasons why people are either before was leaving their jobs now right. it's just straight leaving the industry which is
2: that's gut wrenching
1: yeah right and sad and just was um you know so preventable mm-hmm. I mean, what do you think? Are, what what do you think the barrier or the gap or like what what's missing where executives, leaders, whoever that makes a decision on 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 retention and budgets and training are not like connecting the dots?
2: Yeah, I think a lot of the times people think it's all about the money, and well,
1: we all know that's not true. Well, many of us know that's not true.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I know it plays a it plays a significant part, but I know also some people just leave and will go take a pay cut just to get out of that particular toxic work environment, the environment they don't like, um, you Flexi- know, if,
1: flexibility as well.
2: Right. You know, I mean, you know, having the flex hours, you know, the, we're focusing on, you know, the, the work that needs to be done in a, in what location during what hours versus when does it need to be completed by what is it, you know, what task is it that you've got going on that can only be done between nine to five, Monday to Friday? Uh, you know, can it be done earlier, you know, earlier in the day later? Can, and I think with everybody working from home, you know, I mean, I know personally for me, every hour I'll get up and get out of my chair, walk around the house or go out to the kitchen and get a snack. But just to get out of my desk, just to get out of my little office that I've got here. Um, and even when I was working in, the back of the offices, I would take five or 10 minutes, get up, you know, if I wasn't in a meeting or dealing with meetings, but find time I'd go out and go outside, go for a walk. Uh, and here in Florida, it's hot. And, you know, so going out for a walk in the middle of the afternoon, it's like, man, I got to gotta get out get my vitamin D and get some fresh air. Um, got to be able to do that. But when you've got management and you've got, you know, upper management that, you know, they're focusing on their budgets. They're focusing on their objectives and whatever else and just thinking that they've got those their employees there to do the work and not recognizing them not giving them training not um you know providing the the, the resources they need to properly do their job yeah you're gonna hopefully they will start looking at it and go okay what's going on what do we need to do to improve it or we'll just go find the next person you know to do the job, we'll train them up and hopefully they don't leave after six months. But I know that that's going to cost a lot more money in the interim. I mean, when I worked at the call center and the high turnover rate that we had just um, was just surprising to me. You know, every week we had 30 plus new people coming in to work the desks because the week before we had 20 to 25 people quit. Um, but then you're looking at the time it takes to get them ramped up and get them up to speed. And by the time you get them ramped up, they're like, no, I don't want to do this enough. They go. Um, I, I got into a management position, but basically I was just managing users and trying to keep them, um, made me realize that I didn't like the process of hiring and firing. So, uh, I, I'm much more enjoying what I'm doing now and in, in the education aspect, but, um, it's certainly not an easy task, but you've got to be able to look at your users, your employees, the people that work for you, um, and make sure that you're taking care of them. Because for me and the closest that I'm to it nowadays, nowadays uh is with running the IC squared central florida chapter where you know my i'm working with a team of fantastic uh volunteers that we have events and we put on you know the different chapter meetings and trainings and, and those things um but my role is to support them whatever they need get whatever whatever roadblocks out of the way so they can effectively do their their tasks and responsibilities and that's volunteering Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, what kind of resources, what kind of things can we do, making sure that they're recognized. Um, yeah. So if, if there's that disconnect, then either the management have to kind of reevaluate and either they're happy with the fact that they have turnover and people leaving. Um, but no, my opinion, nobody wants to see somebody go, but we're with the great resignation from last year and what we're starting to see now, there's going to have to be a bit of a mind shift, uh, to, uh, to correct that.
0: As as you're talking about that mind shift, and you, you think about what we need to do to both grow and sustain our industry, why haven't employers been open to alternative ways of introducing individuals to organizations through apprenticeships, through things like that, where they're almost taking a reduced hedge on their bets because you're working from an entry level on up, but you have that loyalty because you're getting that on-the-job training, you're getting that continuous education from the employer versus trying to continuously poach from their competitors or poach from the market any mid-level or senior talent
2: left out there? You know, I, for me, one of the things that I've I've experienced over the years, and I think apprenticeships would be great, internships would be great. and I think organizations need to do more of them, especially when they're looking for that entry-level person. Um, you know, don't be looking entry-level, and it's. I'm hoping it's getting better. I, uh, we know Naomi's out there, always uh, flagging those organizations that post for an entry-level position with a five-year CISSP cert to go along with it, and all this other experience. But I think you know you've got college kids, and I'm seeing it here in Central Florida where there are internships opening up, um, even through Valencia, the college that I'm at, where they're always looking for internships to get their students out there, either in their last semester. Um, but if you can, you know, if you want. We look at organizations over the last several years and, you know, one of the big issues of my, our parents' generations was loyalty. You would remain loyal. You'd work for that company for 35, 40, 50 years. Um, And we're certainly not seeing that anymore. Now we're expecting organizations should be loyal to us. You know, publicly traded companies are loyal to their um, stockholders. And I saw that. I've seen that in other organizations, um, but it, it's going to come down to whatever that culture is. You know, if you've got a culture that's bringing in interns and growing them and educating them and then having them stay on and then having that culture where you're recognizing your employees and you're offering the proper compensation and you're providing training, you know, I, I'll i admit that's what I, I've seen at know before The culture, the work culture at know before is probably one of the best that I've seen out there, um, in regards to a lot of different organizations, um, and more publicly, you know, publicly traded. I've worked at other organizations publicly traded and everything comes down from the top and you're so disconnected from it. You're just the worker bee in the trenches, uh, being the practitioner and training gets cut and the bonuses get cut and this, but all of that so that they can, um, make their quotas or make their profits so that the shareholders are happy. And then the upper executives get their bonuses. Um, you know, it's a bit facetious saying that, but you know, that's kind of you, from a practitioner standpoint, that's what a lot of people see. What are the optics looking like? And so a lot of the times people get frustrated um, with that. And then they're just saying, well, that's it. I'm going to go somewhere else. And they go somewhere else and they get, and they see the same thing there. And then they say, well, forget this industry. And I'm going to, I'm going to go elsewhere. But if you can get organizations where they can start bringing in internships and work with those employees, if your fear is, yeah, but we could train them up and they go elsewhere. Yeah. But what if they stay, if they can stay and work with you in, you know, five, 10 years, um, you know, and then maybe move on. But um, because a lot of times I would see in certain organizations And hear stories talking with colleagues who would be like, yeah, so I was working at the company for five years. I left. I went, worked at another company for two years, came back to the old company and had like a hundred and twenty percent raise than what I got when I left. Um, Mainly because they went somewhere else, got a bump up, came back and got even a bigger bump up, because if they'd stayed at that company for those other two years, the most they would have had would have been 10 percent. So when you've got that kind of a work environment and you're not allowing to properly grow your your um, your users, you know, you're going to certainly run into that kind of frustration with that.
0: Yeah, I think there's a, a statistic that says that for every two years that you stay at a company, you're losing a potential 50% it increase in salary in, in some roles. Wow yeah it's it's crazy uh but that that's what's happening today uh one of the questions from carrie is how can i find apprenticeships i'm not in college and i've been taking free classes online to get my computer networking skills going carrie one of the the things Mm -hmm. is the difference between uh internship and an apprenticeship internships tend to be school-based yeah apprenticeships tend to be funded by some other mechanism. Sometimes you're supported by the government. Sometimes you're supported by organizations who are using state and local grants as well. So I, I would look up uh, um, CyberUp is one organization that does that. If not, you could work with your local, state, and county to see what apprenticeship offerings they might have. Because sometimes they have the... The funds to do it, they just don't have a provider. And working with them to to get a provider could be the easiest way to get you that internship because now you're just connecting the dots. So that, that could be something that you could check out.
2: I like Carrie's comment he had earlier. The hackers are more trained than the good Absolutely, guys. Yeah. You know, and the interesting thing about the hackers, and I, I know – you know, whether it's good guys, bad guys, bad actors, cyber criminals, whatever you want to call it, however you want to look at it. But the people that are, we'll say, are making the honest living um, and the people that are, we'll call, you know, the hackers, the cyber criminals, they both can have a passion. Um, one's just doing it for evil and the other one's just doing it or for themselves and selfish reasons. The other one's doing it to, you know, make an honest living and everything else. But both of them have that passion where they're constantly learning. They're both Learning out new things, taking their own time outside of their work, where they go through and learn, you know, on their own. Whether watching YouTube videos, hands-on, buying a bunch of Raspberry Pis and messing around with those, playing with network simulators, um, and there's a variety of different ones out there. But both have that passion for either learning or wanting to, you know, figure things out, put them back together, uh, figure out how they work. You know, that that's kind of for me, that's always been the definition of a hacker is somebody that that sees something, wants to figure it out, figures out how it all works, takes it all apart, either figures out how to put it back together again or figures out a better way and does it that way. Uh, For me, that's a definition of a a hacker. Um, The cyber criminals out there, whether a nation state or script kiddies or working for organized crime, you know, those are the ones that are, you know, your cyber criminals that are out there.
0: That's a, a, a great next project, Carrie, yes. building a NAS out of uh, a yeah. Raspberry Pi. One of the great. things that. Oh, I
2: was going to say, I use mine for, for my network monitoring and my asset discovery here on my home network. It's great.
0: I used it to build a, build a pie hole. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> which allows me to, to block a lot of ads and a lot yeah. of um, visibility
2: yeah you know, and that's another. That my traffic, yeah, and that's easy to monitor, download, download, install, configure, get it up and running, yeah, that's um, I got way too many devices, and I'd have to reconfigure them all, so that's like a, and my router can't I can't mess with my router like that, so that's another story, <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay um so so James, as you think about companies that are looking to offer that cyber awareness, what could they do to build security champions in the organization to help spread that awareness once they have a program
2: in place? And that's one of the one of my favorite projects that I did when I ran my security awareness program at Siemens 12, 12 plus years ago. Um, the champions program serves a lot of purposes. And one of my favorite was getting connected with the business. Um, you know, our InfoSec department was, uh, corporate security office was quite small. There was only like half a dozen of us inside of an organization that had, you know, 10,000 plus in the U S and our, we called ours a, uh, our ambassador program uh, allowed me to be able to connect with the business and meet everybody and then train and educate one person, either from a particular location or in a particular department and help educate them. And then once you had that education and that passion kind of seeped along to them and they got interested in it, then they would do the same thing within their department because when you, uh, with a champions program, because you can't be everywhere, you can't have an infosec or an IT person at every single location or every department, this kind of puts a little mini infosec person uh, in there to help spread that information. And then I would provide them materials, slide decks, um, so that they could go into their department meetings and do a quick five-minute, here's your cyber tip of the month or tip of the week or whatever. And then for me, I would connect with them once a month and we would do a monthly meeting where I would talk about current events, talk about the latest data breaches and attacks that were going on. Um, I, I remember talking about doing, about the Target hack and the Home Depot and, and a lot of those early on. Um, but one of, the, one of my favorite things that I did with them Uh, Was that when Siemens was a sponsor of Walt Disney World way many years ago, our sponsorship was for the uh, Epcot Center was the big golf ball, Spaceship Earth. And behind Spaceship Earth was a series of meeting rooms and a meeting space. And so every year I would coordinate and plan and take those ambassadors. They'd have to ask permission and get funding from their departments to fly down to Orlando and come to this one-day event. And then I would bring in people like the FBI. I'd bring in other special guests to present and give them kind of like a really fun day um, of security and fun and Mickey Mouse. Um, and because then we would, after, I think we were down around four, park was up until nine. We let them go and play in the park and they got to go on rides and see the fireworks. And so, you know, that was another kind of a fun thing to reward them for the work they've been doing on top of, you know, their other work that they did. Um, and um, so for me, the ambassador program personally running it was great building the connections, but it also helps spread your message and get it out to the various departments regions that you have um, within an organization and then figuring out a way to do a fun day with them, whether it's you bring them into your location um, or you do a meetup somewhere or, or whatever, but try to figure out a way to be able to give back to them. You know, swag is always a good thing. Everybody loves swag. So yeah.
0: Wow. I, I, I love that idea. I, I wish my companies would take me to <laughs> to Disney.
2: Well it, it didn't hurt because I live here in Orlando. It didn't hurt that it's in the backyard, so it was easy to go to. Talk about retention. Yeah. I never had I never had an, an advice I had out of the Three or four years, I ran it. I only had two advisors leave uh, the program, so and I had about seventy of them, so that was great. Oh. It was fun. yeah, it was the one. I ended up shifting roles when I was when I was there, and I ended up having to leave that program, and that was the one thing I really, really, really missed. Um, but uh, yeah, so. But next week, when I'm at RSA, I'm going to be talking about ambassador programs. Shameless plug.
0: <laughs> Shameless plug.
2: what kind of programs? Ambassador programs, ambassador programs. Program, okay, you know we yeah. we call them information security advisors. I've heard champions, I've heard ambassadors. You know, whatever, yeah, whatever you you want to call it.
1: Right, how to expand your 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 security? Your
2: yeah, right. Spread your the reach. culture, spread the awareness. Give them a point of contact because a lot of the time. InfoSec to be like you got to call up and submit a ticket well no you just go talk to your your advisor that you have in your department and then they come to me so then it helps funnel and and address things and yeah that was that was a a really good a really fun program
1: great way to recruit as well yeah some of those people you might find out they're like oh i'm really interested in security and could be uh a future person inside the team. So
2: I know I started out as one. Um, when I before I got into the security office, I was I got listed as as our advisor for my department as I was getting into security and it was a lot of fun. And then once I got in the office, I was like, can I run the program? They're like, yeah, sure, here you go. <laughs> like, thanks. Uh, I had I had some a bunch of great a bunch of ideas and I just presented them and, and off I went. So it was a lot of fun. It was a good time. Right.
0: Nice. I I love hearing that. And I think I kind of started that way because I started in the help desk like you. And once I I found my passion for for security, I wanted to get over there as as quickly as I could. But there was sometimes not a role, uh, not enough headcount, all all the other reasons why. And it it took me a while, but I eventually got here. So uh, champions programs are definitely a great way to go.
1: Definitely. 100
0: percent well james uh i know i have to wrap up a little bit early today i wanted to see if you had any last parting words for today for someone that might be out there listening looking to get into cybersecurity, and potentially looking to follow in in your path
2: oh god no don't follow my path um (laughs) no um yeah, I, I always preach about networking. I always preach about getting connected with people. Um, and and we, we've been saying that. I, I know we've been saying that for years as well. Um, Education is important. Constantly learning. You know, this is not an industry that stands still. Um, people are writing. There's blogs. There's YouTube channels. There are podcasts. There are podcasts. Um, sorry. Um once a month I release security masterminds. I'm the producer of it. I don't do the voice. I just produce it, have a lot of fun doing it. But again, that goes back to the, uh, wanting to constantly learn and networking. The people that I'm bringing on the show are people that I've met over the years and connected with in this industry. And now you get to bring them on a podcast, kind of like Christoph and Renee, what I got to do here today. Um, but yeah, uh, keep, keep up with the education, keep wanting to learn, keep feeding that passion of being in this industry. And if you're feeling frustrated, then go talk with somebody, talk with somebody that's in the industry. Um, You know, maybe there's a different perspective that they might have or Uh, You know, if you can't talk to management, then then, you know, get with somebody else that's within the the organization Um, or colleague, you know, go to a a chapter meetup group, something where you can then connect with other people and go, Okay, so, you know, we're having this major problem with it with X product or this organization or my boss does this, you know, you never know who you might run into that might be able to provide you a working solution that'll make things better for you. But um, hopefully not to the point where people want to. Get out of the industry well uh uh,
0: if you're feeling that way at least talk to a recruiter maybe the recruiter can help them find another role yeah at a A company with better culture Uh, call call (laughs) (laughs) renee well with that everyone thank you for those of you following us on linkedin follow myself james and renee for those of you following us on youtube hit that subscribe button and that notification button. And for everyone everywhere else, listen, share, give us 10 stars or five stars and a great review. Thank you very much and have a great Thursday, everyone. Take care. In the rapidly evolving world of cybersecurity, your business needs a guide that's as dynamic as the threats you face. CPF Coaching LLC delivers unparalleled expertise to elevate your cybersecurity startup or business